What do you want? This is a silly conversation. Yes, it is. What do you want? I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna really, really, really wanna zig a zig. This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. And you're listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 14, Signs and Portents. And thank you once again for joining Chip and Shannon and I as we talk about our beloved Babylon 5, that space station that we just can't get enough of. Um, you know, this episode Chip uh, mentioned last week is, is kind of a big one, and and it's sort of, as you have, will have noticed, having watched it, a big one in the way of, uh, well, let's just say it's named well, Signs and Portents. There's a lot coming. Um, so I'm It's thinking- like a radar episode. It goes <laughs> ping here and ping there and ping there. Lots of pinging. I think uh, I think that we might end up with maybe a, a shorter first half, roughly half of the podcast, the shorter newbie section, and maybe a longer spoiler section this time. What do you guys think? I think that's quite likely. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, it's it, 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 the 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 a plot is so deep and so intricate and so important, and the b plot is just so inconsequential to the whole five year series that I don't know about that. But um, well, well, let's let's see how we go. Yeah, yeah can you detect gonna... can you detect the sarcasm happening just a little <laughs> bit here today? My my sarcasm radar is going ping ping ping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then again, you know, with us, sometimes we find. Uh, a lot to talk about in the strangest places, so who knows? It'll just be exciting to see how this goes. Now, but before we jump into it, in case you are popping in for the first time and Babylon 5 is new to you, let's Boy, give a did you background. time this well. Yeah, yeah. I, this would be an interesting one to start on, I think. Um, I wonder yeah. if it would, would draw people in or just be confusing. Huh. Well, anyway, if you did, here goes. Babylon 5 is a space station in neutral territory that acts as a United Nations in space. Earth runs the station, and there are four ambassadors from the other most powerful races, Narn, Centauri, Minbari, and Vorlon. The Narn and the Centauri do not like each other at all, as the Centauri occupied Narn for many years. Ten years ago, Earth and the Minbari were at war. They made an uneasy peace after the Battle of the Line, a battle during which Commander Sinclair was captured, interrogated, and mind-wiped by the Minbari. Sinclair has only recently realized this, and he has no idea why they did it. As for the Vorlons, their ambassador, Kosh, just hangs out and looks cryptic in his encounter suit, which bears more than a passing resemblance to a toilet bowl. Everyone is trying to maintain the tenuous peace, but it's a rough galaxy out there. Pirates called raiders regularly attack transport ships with juicy cargo. And that brings us to signs and portents. Raiders are attacking ships nearer and nearer to Babylon 5, and they're getting away faster than ships of their size have any right to, because there are no jump gates close to the attacks. Centauri Ambassador Malari recovers a missing jewel-encrusted symbol of his empire, the Eye, which his government paid handsomely to recover. His associate, Lord Kiro, is reduced to a messenger boy to return it to Centauri Prime. As his family once owned the Eye, he is not happy about this. Meanwhile, Kiro's Aunt Ladira is a Centauri prophetess who completely wigs out over visions of Babylon 5's destruction. Meanwhile, a smug Rod Serling wannabe visits all the ambassadors, asking, What do you want? Narn Ambassador Jakar doesn't seem to interest him. Minbari Ambassador Delenn freaks and throws him out, moaning, They're here. And the aforementioned Londo Molari rants epically about how he wants his people to reclaim their past glory as a conquering empire. That does seem to get his attention. Vorlon Ambassador Kosh is predictably cryptic, and the interaction plays out more like a showdown. Meanwhile, meanwhile, raiders sneak onto the station, capture the Eye, and kidnap Lord Kiro. But it's okay, because he was working with them, as we discover after the biggest space battle we have seen yet. The raider ships are trashed, but the mothership gets away with Lord Kiro, whose position isn't as secure as he thought, and the Eye, only to be vaporized by a giant, organic-looking squid-spider-type ship that materializes out of nowhere. After which, a still smug Mr. Morden, the mysterious visitor, shows up on Londo's doorstep to return the Eye to Londo and save his career. As if that's not enough... In this episode, Commander Sinclair opens up to Mr. Garibaldi about his missing 24 hours during the Battle of the Line and asks him to investigate. 
Garibaldi discovers that Sinclair was way, way down the list of candidates to run Babylon 5, and the Mimbari vetoed everyone but him. Hmm. Mysterious. Whew. That's a lot. Yeah, absolutely and, nothing happened in that episode. Right. <laughs> and I do have to give fair credit to Chip for helping out a bit with that recap. I have had a week, capital A, capital W, and couldn't get to it in time. Um, and I'm actually going to admit that after watching this episode, uh, rewatching it, I kind of was thinking that Chip oversold this a little bit at the end of last week's episode when he said it was a big one. Wait, but wait, now wait, I what? Sp- but- what? Yeah, I did. <laughs> but now looking back at it, reading all of this through... There really is a lot going on. Uh, but from Stephen's perspective, the newbie perspective at least, that's not maybe entirely a good thing. He thought there were so many signs and portents and so few things that were concretely explained uh, that it was a little bit too much for him. It was it was kind of annoying more than exciting. So before I get to Chip and Shannon, I want to remind you guys, new viewers especially, that you can come and tell us what you thought at b5audioguide.com. I'm very curious to hear what other new viewers thought of this one. So please visit our sports spoiler-free thread and let us know. So on to you two now. First of all, Chip, you totally showed your hand last week. You were excited about this one. I don't think it's a spoiler, as we said. To say this ep teases a lot of stuff that comes later. So do you think that your feelings are somewhat influenced by knowing what came later, or did you have this feeling the very first time you watched this episode? My feelings are totally influenced by knowing what came later uh, for two reasons. Uh, One, um, I came to Babylon 5 a little late, so mm-hmm. by the time I was given the box full of video cassettes about Babylon 5, it was well past this episode. Um, so I knew that stuff was coming, and I knew that Signs and Portents is Signs and Portents all about, you know, the whole rest of the series. So, uh, you know, I will effuse wildly about this episode when we go into the spoiler section, but I will admit that if I tr- put myself in Stephen's place, if I put myself in the hypothetical new viewer's shoes, the A plot to this story couldn't be more basic. The Raiders are really generic villains, almost purposefully so. You know, they're they're just they're just there to make trouble. They're they're there to provide action to a story while um, B plot stuff happens, and that that's almost consistent for every single episode that they're in, including um, including the first episode, Midnight on the Fire Line, Firing Line. They're just there to be generic bad guys. So, as far as the A plot's concerned, this is a story about mysterious bad guys who have no motivation other than to be thieves uh, show up, try to take things, and are defeated. And it looks pretty, but yeah, but yeah, on its own merits, this is a really generic story. Uh, when we go through the jump gate, I will glitter <laughs> and sparkle and squeak, but, uh, but yeah. Shannon, what about you? Um, what was your ex- first experience seeing this one? Did you see this cold or had you seen others first? I- I'm trying to remember. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think I probably knew interesting things were happening because I think once Chip got the big box, um, he started watching first and then he pulled me in saying, you know what, this is getting really interesting. I think you'd enjoy it. So I think I had an inkling of some of the stuff to come. So this particular episode to me, yeah, the A plot, you know, sort of very generic. It's ba- it's basically a foundation for the rest of the stuff to happen. Uh, for me, this is sort of like we've gotten to the end of the prologue in our novel, and this is the first chapter where there are hints of really interesting things about to happen. So for a brand new viewer, um, I could see them sort of scratching their heads. Okay, what's going on? You know, th- this is stuff that's never been referenced before. That sort of thing um, I could see being confusing if you didn't realize that this was uh, a turning point to set up the bigger plot arcs that are coming. Lord, this is so difficult to talk about. You know, we're <laughs> we're, we're trying to honor the spoiler. The, 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 we're trying to honor the jump gate here. And it's it's tough. It's tough. It is. It is. But I think 
And I think your mileage also may vary with this because if you are the kind of person who just delights and revels in mysteries and things that are unsolved, this episode is going to be right up your alley. If you're a sort of more concrete thinker and you like to have things tied up, at least one of the plot threads sort of tied up at the end of an episode, yeah, this this probably will get to you. Um, although I do I do take a little bit of issue with, with what you said, Chip, about the Raiders not having motivation. Um, we did get a little bit of that at the end because they said that, that they had this big mothership, which they had, you know, every single credit that they had stolen, they were yeah. able to buy this the ship with, and and they were just going to ransom the eye back to Centauri Prime and get uh, get more money so that they could buy another giant ship, which of course is how they are getting their little ships in and out. So, so I think it it was basic pirates is, you're, you're, is kind of what I got it to. You're, you're absolutely right. They're but they're a little one dimensional. Um, no, oh, they're yeah. a lot one dimensional, but they do have motivation. They do have a role. Yeah. What they don't have is great acting. This was, oh, yeah. I put in my notes, another example of one of the, you know, bad guy heavies being just a terrible performance with, throughout, awful ADR. I don't know if he had laryngitis when he was, like, doing this and had to come back and, and re-record, but it just, it drove me nuts the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a note about him, too. His 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 acting was so hammy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good word. Good word. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, does anybody have anything else to say about the, the Raider plot itself? Or should we jump a little sideways and still not into spoiler space, but, but right. talk a little bit more about the characters? I guess the only thing I, I would add to the Raider plot is that I was a little baffled that it was actually a mystery that the Raiders had a carrier ship that could create its own joint point. That's mm-hmm. How are the Raiders getting away to, so quickly? The jump gate is so far away. There, there's, <laughs> there's, there's really only, uh, there's really only one option, um, uh, uh, mm-hmm. given the Raiders' technology, which, as we've seen, you know, they're they're scrappy, but they their tech it doesn't measure up to um, Earth Alliance star theories and things like that. Uh, the only answer is they they must have just dismissed the notion because that they thought the Raiders were essentially poor. But uh, the only solution is they've got a carrier. They've got a they've they've got a ship that can create jump points. Uh, so, ah, there it is. That's the answer. They've got a ship with no, no. So that was that was a little frustrating. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was supposed to bring home to us just how amazing it is for them to have a ship that everybody just a mothership that everybody just discounted it. But it really does seem like you know if if all of the you know likely solutions. Are, are not happening or impossible, then it's it's probably whatever's left over that you think is, is really unlikely. Is this oh, the wow. first time we've actually seen on the show a ship capable of creating its own jump point? I believe it is. I believe it is. I, I believe I yeah, until now, um, everything's been, everything that's been mentioned has been actual jump gates. Hmm. Well, so. now we know. Big yeah. ships can create jump gates if they have the right uh, equipment. Yeah, and Big that surprise. has been your learning moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the one thing that I did like um, about the a plot, the the battle scene was a good payoff for it of of Sinclair being able to show military strategy to create the the funnel to drive the raiders um, down near the station and to mesh the um, artillery he had both on the station and with the Star Furies. Um, that was fun. That helped remind us that uh, Babylon Five is run by the military. That, you know, yes, they're a commerce point. Yes, they're a tourist point. But ultimately, their role is military. And it's nice to be reminded of that. Yeah, that's true. I have a little conceptual difficulty with that fight when I'm watching it. I'm you know, this is 3D space. And, you you know, you're talking about funneling the ships, forcing the raiders to sort of run alongside the the station and get shot in three directions. And that's kind of cool. But I kept thinking, well, why can't they just... Why can't they just break away? Why can't they just fly off? You see one shot of a raider flying off um, away from the station and getting cut down. But it, it it looked cool and it got across the notion that Sinclair has a good tactical mind. But I wasn't sure I wasn't entirely sure that I bought it if I sat down and thought about it a whole lot. And also and this is where I'm sort of spoiled by space combat scenes in uh, modern CGI and things like that. But I also thought that the space combat moved a little slowly. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, 
remember Return of the Jedi and that epic first shot when um, the the big space battle over the Death Star begins and the, all of the uh, TIE fighters and things just sort of swooping in at first. Part of this is Babylon 5's effort at real physics, but the Star Furies move slower than I kind of wanted. The Raider ships move slower than I kind of wanted, although I love that shot of Garibaldi uh, taking advantage of real physics and uh, his Star Fury just sort of popping up and um, shooting down on the Raider ship. But, you know, it, it's it's a great fight scene, um, but I'm not sure that it stands up to really close scrutiny. Yeah, Stephen really in- enjoyed that. You know, he's like, yeah, <laughs> space battle. And I was just yeah. like, the, you know me, I kind of checked out a little bit. I was like, yeah, yeah, shooty, shooty, <laughs> pew, 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 lasers. And, and <laughs> let's get back to the talkie talkie. No, I'm on <laughs> Team Stephen here for that one. <laughs> uh, okay, well let's let's turn our attention now to the uh, the mysterious Mister Morden plot, um, and and I do think it's kind of nice that we actually once again get a little bit of character development about our sort of main cast of characters through the use of the guest cast, and in this case, Mister Morden asks one very simple question to each person, and it's I had I. I thought it was very laughable the way that most of those scenes played out. It was, you know, supposed to be funny. He just keeps asking the same question. People get either annoyed or upset. Um, but so, what what do you guys think we learned about our our ambassadors? Let's let's take Jakar and Londo first of all, since those seem to be the, the primary ones that actually had more of an interaction. Um, I think we see partially sort of their reactions stem from their histories, their experiences for each race. Uh, The Narn having been subjugated for like a century by the Centauri. Of course, uh, Jakar's focus is on revenge, you know, get rid of the Centauri. Um, But when Morden asks him again, well, what next? Jakar honestly hasn't thought that far ahead. Um, You know, they're, they're still thinking in terms of being dominated, and they're still concentrating on the idea of getting rid of the dominator completely. You know, what next? Who knows? They'd have to finish their task first. Uh, on the other hand, Londo's people have been in decline. The um, empire has been shrinking. They've been losing ground. And Londo is desperate to get all that back, to to lift up Centauri Prime um, back to where it was and even beyond. So he has had the luxury being the dominator race. They've had the luxury of trying to think what would they do if they could get back to where they were and then keep going. So I think they both reflect sort of where each race is um, in their own answers. Yeah, I love that opening scene uh, where uh, Jakar and Londo are waiting for the elevator and that poor hapless oh, yeah. uh, guy, uh, the human <laughs> stuck in between them. Um, How many takes did that ta- did they need? I wonder to get that right. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was great. Uh, I'm uncomfortable here, standing still, acting. By the way, <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is this is one of their uh, little uh, you know extra sort of cast members that I want to give a big thumbs up to. Yeah, was, yeah. he good. didn't have a line. He just sat there, sat there, looked uncomfortable, and then got the hell out of there as soon as he could. And uh, that's great. But um, I like the way that we've, throughout this season, um, to this point, we've seen the Narn and the Centauri as different sides of the same coin. And we get that at the elevator scene. Uh, Londo and Shakar, they hate each other. They think that each other is the source of all of their grief, you know, all this stuff. And and now look what you made me do. And they stomp off together, you know. So we see them as we see them as equals. And then this is the first real this this is a this is a indicator that they aren't quite because Jakar doesn't appear, apparently want to be a universal conqueror. And Londo is just so broken and frustrated and angry inside that it just sort of all tumbles out. And that is such a great performance by Peter Jurisic. Peter just nails it at every turn this episode. I love I, I love seeing what he does with this. So, yeah, I, I we talked last week about how sort of you know, Londo the stinker in By Any Means Necessary. Mm-hmm. And this is Londo the pissed off, angry and vulnerable here. Yep. And I, I think it helps both the viewers and the character that um, he's also got Lord Kiro there to essentially prod him further into this um, into this mindset so that when Morden, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when Morden 
um, starts uh, poking the poking the beehive, you know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And Londo finally just explodes all over him and lets it out. Um, I'm not quite sure I would have bought Londo's frustrations without his discussions with Kiro trying to see if he could get Londo on his side for a takeover. And Londo is essentially like, this is all this petty internal squabbling doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't gain us anything. It doesn't get us back to where we need to be. So I think that that's a good bit of setup um, within the episode to help push Londo farther into to the point where he needs to be. I agree. And it reinforces that this isn't just Londo talking. This isn't just his personal uh, frustration. You know, he's sort of speaking for all of the Centauri, you know. It sort of mirrors what we've been seeing to this point from Earth, too, because um, we Home Guard and all these other folks have been frustrated about alien influences, you know, uh, wanting to take things back. And uh, we see hints of that from uh, the Centauri as well. Very true. I also found it the uh, the Lord Kiro interaction interesting that Lord Kiro is is thinking of making a move and, and trying to take the eye for himself and maybe rise to ascendancy of, of some sort. And and I found it interesting that that Londo didn't just immediately jump on that train. He was he was very much like you know, dude, that's, that's not cool. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be screwed. Um, and he he sees I, himself he, he sees himself as he talked to as he said to Adira several episodes ago. He sees himself as a washed up old Republican. And mm-hmm. what's the point? Yep. Oh, that was just mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so then uh, just to briefly touch on the other two uh, Mr. Morden encounters, we have uh, Delenn of the glowing triangle on the forehead, which <laughs> Stephen was just like, what is that? What is going on? <laughs> um, so she seems pretty upset. And then Kosh just goes immediately. Well, I was I would say he goes into cryptic mode, but he never actually leaves cryptic mode. Um, right. So what do we think of, of those without, you know, again, no spoilers, but just from a, a newbie perspective of, of the what the heck is going on? How did those strike you? Something that I liked um, that sort of ties into a couple things in this episode is, again, of all the people, it's the female character who immediately recognizes Something is wrong. Something's not right here. Just get away from me. And we also have sort of the same thing with the Centauri seer, uh, Ladira, and the fact that, you know, she is overwhelmed by all of these visions of what might happen to Babylon 5. And the two men there, Kiro and, and Londo, immediately are just like, oh, she's been traveling too hard. She just needs a rest. Poor dear. So, mm-hmm. again, you know, the, the men are willing to engage with Morden and Delenn sees that something's not right here and she's smart enough to kick him out. So I, I liked that. What did you Chip, what did you think of the Kosh interaction? If I were a newbie, I would have like I would have been like, huh, interesting. But I'm not sure I would have gotten it, and I'm sure that's by design, you know, Babylon mm-hmm. five has things in it that are supposed to be a sign important for ex- and other things that aren't supposed to make sense until you go back to it and check it out. I did get that sense of a showdown, and it is mm-hmm. kind of neat, but it isn't necessarily clear. True. And so. I did the, – the first time or maybe even the first couple times that I watched this episode, I didn't catch the line later in the show where they say that Ambassador Kosh's encounter suit had been damaged and that he, he wouldn't say right. how. So, you know, they never make it explicitly clear. Did this happen when he was talking to Morden or did something else go on in between? Like it's one more mystery amongst amongst many. So – um, yay for me for for catching that mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. I might I might have missed that uh, the first couple of times just simply because it was just woven in there so so subtly. Um, but what about that uh, Ed Wasser as as Mr. Morden? This isn't actually the first time he has been on Babylon Five, but it is the first time he has appeared as Mr. Morden. Um, any any feelings about him, Mister Mister Smuggy Pants? <laughs> I love Ed Wasser as Morden. Um, this, this particular performance, he comes in and there's this sense of menace, but yeah, also I... confidence and a sense of humor. And that moment when he, uh, forces himself into Londo's elevator and just beams at him <laughs> is hysterical. Yes. 
And I think he, I think he knows that he's getting under Londo's skin. That sort of helps force the "what do you want" answer uh, out of him because uh, Londo's just pissed off and you know um, not guarding himself, and just there he goes. But um, he's immediately compelling. He does look like Rod Serling, as fraught as Babylon Five in this first season is with uh, painful casting decisions from time to mm-hmm. time. They knocked it out of the park. Um, he previously appeared in the gathering as uh, a tech on the um, in the control dome um, uh, named Guerra. And for the longest time, people were like, is it the same character? Is it a mystery? And finally, I think JMS says, I'm like, no, 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 different character, y'all. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, he, he actually did a good job as one of the techs um, in the gathering. Um, he's he's well cast. Um, I'm curious. I, I confess I've not looked to see what else he's been in, what else he's done. Um, but uh, in this episode, he makes an immediate impact. I feel like I saw him in something else not too long ago, and I was just like, oh, my God, it's Mr. Morton. Oh, my God. Not just Ed Wasser's performance, but direction-wise and, and uh, sort of choices-wise, having him, even though he is coming in on a big transport with a bunch of other people, the fact that he's walking that corridor alone immediately sets up a focus on, you need to pay attention to this guy, and a bit of menace about it. And then, of course, when he talks to the guy and checks in uh who's like you know you've been gone a long time oh i was out on the rim do you find anything yes and then he just (laughs) keeps going right along he doesn't elaborate because he's on on his mission and he's got to go so right away the viewers i think you know hopefully viewers interest is captured like you know who is this guy and then of course his interactions with the ambassadors just make it more so I think that also his performance is just it's it's more subtle than I kind of remembered giving him credit for. You know, the the beaming in the in the in the elevator shaft is like that's that's one thing and that's kind of the the thing that stood out for me is just his his creepy cheerfulness. But then the mm-hmm. during the mysterious scene with Kosh when when he first sort of catches a glimpse of of Ambassador Kosh, he his face completely transforms and changes and you're not quite sure is that fear or uncertainty or anger or exactly what it is but he's feeling something different and 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 that it just it it was very very cool to me to see uh, that much just i like it when you can tell what a character is feeling just by their face uh and not every actor is able to portray that very well and he he nails it I yeah really think. Mm-hmm. and one last kudo i love his voice mm-hmm. he's got yeah. a great voice he sure does yep well, speaking of other sort of mysterious stuff, uh, how do we feel about the conclusion, the mystery spider squid ship thing that comes out of nowhere plot-wise? Uh, is this satisfying or not? Actually, I should point out that Stephen got confused and he thought we had seen it before. The episode with Sigma, Sigma 957, uh, where the you know giant ship right. that sees us as ants appears. And I, I brought up a picture, uh, the two yeah, pictures to, show to, to compare. The Victorian does, Christmas ornament. Mm-hmm. It does have kind of like, you know, squiddy like type legs, but they're when you look at two pictures side by side, it's definitely not the same. But if you're right. going through and just seeing this for the first time, you might get those two confused and think that it's the same thing. So hmm. I, I wonder if maybe they should have delineated a little bit more. But, you know, besides that, what what do you think plot wise? Is this, uh, is this a, a good move or a just out of left field? What the heck kind of moment? It's it's so out of left field. It is so definitely out of left field, but it's meant to be. Um, this is, you know, the the first rumblings of things to come, essentially. Um, but it is very much, you know, boom, something of this immense power that immediately disappears again. And the viewer, you know, is left going like, what the heck was that? And the hopes are keep watching and maybe an answer will come in a week or two. Although you get a slight answer in that Morden shows up afterward with a scorched box with an eye in it. That true. is true. Which I don't know if that's an answer or just it's one of those like every answer leads to more questions. Yeah. Although that, that's one thing that really bothered me a little bit uh, with that scene after Londo, you know, sees the eye and comes back out shouting to Morden to wants to buy you a fleet of drinks. drinks and then there's this disembodied voice of we will find you. I'm sorry. That's the time when I go back and hide in my quarters. Yeah. You know, I, it I'm was not a little like on smi- the nose. Yeah. yeah I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm not smiling with, you know, flush with, you know, OK, I've got <laughs> these interesting new friends. No, I'm sorry. I'm out of there. He was, I think maybe Londo was just so overwhelmed with joy that he didn't bother to think about it. I 
I don't know. But yeah, you're right. That was <laughs> that was maybe a little bit too much for me. It was kind of creepy. Um, and I guess we should touch on the visions of the prophetess Ladira was... I get weird about prophecy in most shows because it's really hard to kind of live up to things down down the line. So when I when I saw this um, from a newbie perspective, I'm always kind of like, oh no, what does this mean? Are we, you know, is Babylon Five going to die? And then at the end of the episode, she softens it and says, "This is one of the possible futures, and I hope you manage to avoid it." So I, I kind of felt like that nerfed the whole thing. <laughs> like, oh, so. So it might not happen. Well, you could, you know, pick anything and say that might not happen. You know, it, Babylon 5 might be destroyed by a fleet of weasel ships or something. And yes, <laughs> well, maybe it won't. So <laughs> I don't know. I kind of felt like that was was a uh, I, I didn't dig it as much as I as much as I sometimes like the prophecy angle. What did you guys think? I think that if this was an episode of The Incomparable, the episode title would be A Fleet of Weasel Ships. Was our <laughs> explanation mark S here if we had a chat room. Um, one of the things that bugs me a little bit in my hard SF, um, inclinations is that, um, the whole Centauri prophecy just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, we have to accept, we have to accept, uh, telepathy already in the Babylon 5 universe, but prophecy is something that y- you just have to roll with it. It's a, it's a little more science fantasy than science fiction. It's a little more, uh, use the force Luke than stuff. So, I, I always have a bit of an issue with a, a, as cool as it is in the first episode when Londo talks about the dream that he had of his death, how Centauri have premonitions of what their deaths are going to be like. And now we have Lady Ladira's, uh, you know, Lord Kiro will be killed by shadows and the space station's going to blow up. It doesn't work for me all that well because my suspension of disbelief just sort of breaks a little bit. I don't know if the rest of you feel that way. I'm a bit more open to some fantasy in my sci-fi than most people. So I, it's the, the fact that that stuff is there doesn't bother me. It does bother me a little bit that it feels like JMS is trying to play it both ways. On the one hand, her prediction about Lord Kiro does come true. On the other hand, she turns around and tells Sinclair, oh no, this could be avoided. It, it, it almost felt like She's trying to comfort this tiny child that's like, oh, no, it, it won't happen if you do the right thing. You know, that, that for me, there was a little sense of that she doesn't really believe it herself, that she thinks it's going that, you know, that the station's going to be destroyed like her vision shows. But she's got to tell Sinclair something. One of the things I do like about her visions and her, you know, when she has her voiceover moments and, you know, she's she's hearing the voices that we hear trying to deal with the impending possible destruction of the space station it's all extras it's all it's we don't hear any of our regulars just like we had an episode last week last time of, of that hovered around the, the you know the dock workers i like being reminded that babylon 5 is about all kinds of people whereas if her visions and had included disembodied voices of ivanova and uh, sinclair and garibaldi and things like that you know it it was actually it was slightly more real to me that it was the rest of the crew. So I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even noticed that. Thanks for pointing it out. <laughs> and I guess before we jump into spoiler space, we should do our uh, customary Sinclair Michael O'Hare check. Um, is mm-hmm. he a tactical genius this time, a man in command, or is he dull as dishwater? I got to say, um, for me, I liked him again. So I don't know if this is just a turning <laughs> point in the... Uh, in season one, where he finds his groove, or rather finds the groove that I like the best, or <laughs> or what? Or if it's just that he, again, wasn't in this all that much, or that he got to play military commander. Anyway, I was happy. So maybe you guys can figure out why I was happy. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think that you've mentioned before, you know, this is not an op- opportunity for him to be all wide-eyed and mm-hmm. um, and 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 yeah, confrontational. He's, in, he's, he's got introspective to be... with Garibaldi. He's amused at Ivanova. Um, and then he's, you know, a tactical leader in the Raider battle. So yeah, he's got to be cerebral. And I think cerebral Sinclair is really good. And I like when um, the Raider and Kiro go through their little bit of kabuki theater of pretending to be <laughs> taken hostage and all that stuff. I <laughs> like the way that Sinclair is just real casual. And like, extends his arm, says, there you go. Go on up through the hangar. He's under control here. He's calm. He 
he's thinking. He's thinking a couple of steps ahead. He doesn't actually get around to thinking that, well, maybe they've got a carrier ship, but that's not the fault of Michael O'Hare. That's the fault <laughs> of the writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when he is when he is more laid back like that, and like you said, cerebral and thinking, that is that is what I like the best. I think one of my favorite bits of his was at the end after Ladira shares the vision with him. He is, and he's not. I, I don't know if cerebral is the right word at that time. He's just sort of he doesn't know what to think and is unsure. And I think I think that the Sinclair when he's caught between a rock and a hard place, or when he's not entirely certain of of what's going on around him, and he's just trying to kind of absorb and take it all in. I like that. I think he does that very well. It's when he is he is trying to be over the top in command of the situation or intense that that he gets away from me a bit. And he could have he could have played O'Hare could have played that really poorly with uh, sort mm-hmm. of a oh no, what what is this? What can we do? How can we avoid right. that? You know, you know, he could have panicked. No, he was more as as you said, he was more unsure and sort of uh taken aback and uh, I'm not sure what to do with this. All right. Yeah, I I like it when he underplays things, for sure. Well, is there anything else you guys want to get out before we jump into um, the jump gate where Chip jumped into sparkle territory, apparently? <laughs> uh, one thing that struck me this time that I think I didn't quite put together earlier times, um, the opening with Ivanova talking back and forth to the computer, just for the, some reason this time it tickled me to death. To see her, you know, mumbling, getting up, the computer, of course, asking for clarification, and she's just like, why am I talking to you? It almost felt to me like JMS was maybe riffing off of the talk to the computer scenes in other television sh- and other sci-fi shows, maybe, the, the, that, um, you know, these computers are, you know, actually quite dumb. Um, <laughs> and so th- I don't know why it tickled me, but it did. I think it tickled you because uh, you and your husband and your son, the three of us, are not morning people at all. That too. <laughs> that too. Yeah, I could relate. And I also liked her sort of follow up uh, in CNC when, you know, she's the, you know, mornings, uh, sleeping is not, what is it? Sleeping is not the problem. It's waking up. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I like and that line. Cause when it's I, dark I can't wake up when it's dark outside and it's mm-hmm. always dark in space. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And I guess, you know, quick props to Janet Greek who directed this one. I think, I think her choices, um, throughout this were overall pretty good so i'm I'm always happy when we i see her name pop up at the beginning of the credits even steven was pleased he's like yay her again well done all right well with that i think uh i think it's time to to jump into sparkly spoiler space uh but before we do again just a reminder to come and check us out at b5audioguide.com let us know what you thought about this either in the spoiler free section as i mentioned before or in the spoiler space and and uh talk about all the stuff that we're about to get into and you can Uh, speaking of what we're about to get into let me interject we've got a deviation in your homework oh yeah i'm getting there i'm getting there okay i'll Um, I'll be quiet i'll be good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so first is first is uh, Twitter at B5 Audio Guide and Tumblr as well. We would love to see you on the social medias. But yes, now it is time for homework. Um, and we are, this is the first time that we are deviating from the, the normal-ish list. So if you've got the DVDs that you're watching, this is not going to be in DVD order. If you're watching on, on Netflix, uh, you're going to have to skip ahead a little bit. We are jumping to the episode Grail, which is at... F- episode 15 on the uh, discs and the downloads. Remember, we are following the Lurker's Guide master list. So this is not going to come in the same order uh, as expected. And we will talk more next time about why it got moved and where it it fits in and, and whether or not we like that. All right. So now let's jump into spoiler space. Whew. We can relax, guys. Now we can say whatever we want. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Sorry. Uh, Oh, boy. The chrysalis. The chrysalis. Yes. I feel like I've been dancing for for half an hour here. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Dancing around. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So uh, when we were watching, when I was watching this, um, I just had this moment of recognition that all of a sudden... Babylon 5 has really, really begun because Babylon 5 through to the middle of season four is really the story of the Shadow War and its repercussions afterwards. And this is the beginning of the Shadow War. This is the first appearance of the Shadows. And 
That's what this show is all about. And it was like one of those one of those magic eye posters that I can't really do. All of a sudden it all comes into focus and I'm reminded that you know, it's not just about the characters. It's about the epic story and this is the epic story really really presenting itself. And that is why Signs Importance makes me feel so happy. <laughs> Why are you yeah, laughing I think, at me? I think maybe I was just trying so hard to put myself in the sort of newbie's shoes that it didn't do as as much for me. Um, and, you know, honestly, I feel like for me, it, it worked in the opposite way. I knew what was coming so much that I that the mystery part of it really didn't didn't get under my skin at all. But there wasn't the, the complete mystery of the unknown. I, I just, yeah, this one is not... Not one that I'm sparkly about. I don't dislike it, and I think I think that the stuff that comes after is so cool, but it doesn't. The, the I don't know the signs and the portents. I, I I prefer seeing the things themselves, I guess, rather than the pointers to them. Shannon, how about you? Well, yeah, like you all said, it's a beginning, and until you get to more stuff, beginnings can be highly unsatisfying. Um, all of these things are introduced, and a new viewer is likely to be like you know, looking back and forth with trying to figure out which way to go because they have no idea what's going on after half a season of learning about this world. Suddenly, you know, they're at the edge of a cliff and and they're not ready to step over the edge. But for those of us who can go back and look again, um, just the way it's, it's almost, it's a very subtle introduction. You have this mysterious guy, he goes around and asks everybody what they want. And you know, that is going to be essentially the question that typifies uh, the shadow side. Uh, they, they want chaos. They want people to feed off their desires and chase after things and cause trouble for other people. It's pure, you know, greed and ambition. Uh, and, it, and it starts with, as we see, which of the ambassadors, um, how they react. So, yeah, I don't, it's not necessarily satisfying the first time around, but like when you, you know, reread a really good book and you go back and you can pinpoint, oh, yeah, this is where it all started. That's a satisfying experience, too. Yeah. When the shadow ship materializes from hyperspace, I'm just like, yes. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and knowing, what's, knowing what's coming. Um, and, and when I first saw this, you know, um, it was in the middle of the second season and I'm catching up. So even then I didn't know even a quarter of the stuff that was go- that was going to be happening. So it didn't impact me as much back then. But mm-hmm. this time, knowing the scope of the series, um, knowing how important that conversation between Londo and Morden is um, and seeing when, when Londo says, I want it all back the way it was, you know, and that just mm-hmm. just. He's not even spitting the words out, but, you know, there's just just, just pain in his voice and mm. anger and frustration and greed. And knowing where that's going to take him, I I can't – as you can tell, I have really strong <laughs> – I have really strong positive feelings about this episode and about mm-hmm. everything that it, that follows it. I think the, uh, the what do you want piece of it for me – becomes more exciting to me in retrospect when we then get the Vorlons later asking um, asking their question, who are you? So I think for me, I just need both halves of that in order for it to, to really give me the excitement level that, yeah. that you've reached here. Um, there's... There's there's a lot of good stuff in this, and I do like the the performances of all of the the actors, and and like you said, the Londo thing is really his his journey throughout the course of this show is just amazing, and this is a an important stepping stone of that journey. I mean, this right here, when you think about it, his his response is the crux. If he would have been in a slightly different mood, like Shannon said before, if Lord Kiro mm-hmm. hadn't been there to sort of prime the the pump, talking about the the old glory, it's very possible that. Londo might have said something completely different or just completely like just shoved him away and, you know, said, I, 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 I want rest in a good glass of Bravari or whatever. And <laughs> what, you know, imagine how differently the entire series would have played out. Maybe they, maybe the shadows would have gone and found somebody else, but they didn't. So it's, it is momentous. That is absolutely for sure. I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna and I think that. the, 
and other episodes have been leading up to this uh, back in Born to the Purple, um, a bit in Parliament of Dreams. Um, and then, of course, you know, just last episode, by any means necessary, Londo is being such a cackly little jerk, but it's over <laughs> the most petty of things. I mean, he is, a, yes, he is able to affect Jakar profoundly, but it's just Jakar. He is not able to do something bigger to, um, you know, the whole Narn planet or anything like that. He He's... He's in a position where he, he, he so realizes just how unimportant and petty um, his position has become. And then, of course, they're trying to get the eye to um, help do, you know, something. And then it turns out, well, no, Lord Kiro is going to get the credit for that. And like you said, it, all of these things in the past several episodes have been driving Londo to this point where when Morden asks him the question, there is nothing else he can answer. And he takes that first step down the road to his hell. Yeah, and he's he's just, you know, the washed up old Republican thing. He's when he's realizing that the eye is gone and that his his career is over and he's probably going to be following Ladira off the station in a few days. He's he doesn't even seem surprised about it at all or that right. upset. He's just something that seems like he's been expecting it because he's just been beaten down and down and down. So it really does all play out well. It's like, this, you know, the, the symphony of his character is, is, is hitting its lull right here. And uh, it works. Yeah, it does. Now, and, and it's not going to happen immediately, of course. And in a few episodes, we'll get to A Voice in the Wilderness, where, you know, he's part of the team and he's helping out and and there's that lovely line at the end of that episode where, you know, they are talking about Londo's spirit of adventure having been rekindled. And somebody says that maybe that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, but um, let's uh, look at in contrast at Jakar, who is going to, by the end of this series, be a hero. And it all starts with him having a better answer to what do you want, which is <laughs> oh, not that well, much as long as my people are safe. Yeah, it, it's the, the the Christ allegory is is just right there, of of going through his personal revelation, and then his goal is to spread and protect the peace among first his people, and then he realizes I I can't do it for just my people. I've got to do it for everybody. We are all um, our people. You so know. you know, this is this first focus is him, you know, saying you know I I want revenge, and then I just. We want to be left alone. We want to live our lives in peace. So he's still in that tunnel vision of everything for Narn, everything just to preserve, resurrect, and restore Narn. He has not yet gotten to the point to realize that it can't be just Narn, that yeah. it's got to be all the different races. Can I talk about Ed Wasser some more? <laughs> yes, please do. Okay, the importance of casting, you know, I, I made a point of it uh, in the pre-spoiler section about how important that was that he got it right for this episode. But his performance is so strong throughout the series. I won't mm -hmm. say that he's perfect. He's not perfect in every single episode. But, you know, he comes close enough that you recognize him as the same guy throughout the season up until he gets uh, up until he uh makes his uh exit his exit uh, <laughs> his unceremonious exit his unceremonious you can't see exit me but with, i'm grinning and waving right now i know i know i know i love that um <laughs> but um but yeah he he he's the dark center around uh, around this that the whole shadow war revolves with without that casting decision early on, this could have been much less impactful. Big props to uh, JMS and to the casting mm -hmm. folks to for getting him in that position because that level of subtle menace, um, mm -hmm. when which which we don't really get in full except when the uh, when Janet Greek uh, turns the lights down on him when Delenn looks at him and he's mm -hmm. all of a sudden in shadow. Dum dum dum. And then when the lights go out in the hallway between him and Kosh, we get the we get the notion that he's bad, but the fact his level of bad just increases and increases throughout the season. But it all starts here. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, is also mm -hmm. kind of the start of the Vorlons and the Shadows, actually one on well, not one on one, but right in front of each other in person. That they are not for you, like look. They both recognize that this is an important place and that, you know, I don't know if they just mean, mean humans or everybody, you know, that they are not for you line. That's 
that's a big thing. This is this is this is what kicks that all off yeah. right here too. It's not just the first time we see a ship, it's the first time we see the the confrontation happening um on a smaller scale. Yeah, I think this is actually the first in the flesh confrontation between the Vorlons and the Shadows in yeah. this mm-hmm. new Shadow War. Uh, I can't think of another incident in which Kosh or any other Vorlon would have been uh in the presence of a Shadow. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of casting, another tidbit that turns up uh, is our first appearance of David Corwin, uh, played by Josh Cox. Yay! I did not recognize him until Shannon pointed it out because his hair is so long. I oh, did not yeah, realize that this long. is the guy. Yep. Yeah. I, I used to, he used to be on a, a, I think it was a Lifetime Network show called Strong Medicine. I think it was Strong Medicine um, as a nurse. And he was just, I loved him so much on that show. And I had already seen Babylon 5. And I knew that I loved him so much for a reason, but I couldn't figure it out until I then started another Babylon 5 rewatch kind of at the same time as I was watching that show. And I was like, oh my God, it's Corwin. No wonder I love this guy so much. I liked him. And I definitely, I guess I didn't realize that this was the first time that we saw him. I, I wasn't sure if he had sort of just been in the background, but I was I was very pleased to have him actually talking and stuff. But the hair. Um, the hair. Yeah, it's, it, that's some hair. All right. Uh, we, we talked about Kosh. I, I have a question for you guys. The, what the heck is with the triangle on Delenn's forehead? I cannot remember, like, how that fits into things. What What does that mean? So we've seen that triangle before uh, on the head of the uh, other Minbari in mm-hmm. um, and the sky full of stars when um, the the guy tells Delenn that he's that if Sinclair ever figures out what happened that she needs to kill him. We can infer that the triangle means that this is an important person. What we get told by JMS online is that it is a symbol of the Grey Council and it's a, a bit of an implant that implies that the shadows or the shadow influence is present. And I don't know that we ever see that triangle again because it is a little bit goofy. And they also, I think they were doing some early uh, CGI stuff to make it appear and the actor's head is still moving so they had to uh they had to include it you know they had to animate it and that would have been really tough so i think that's a i think that is an idea that's maybe uh more plausible than say gravity rings (laughs) (laughs) but it is something that they uh sort of left left to the side yeah i think that's why it confused me so much when i saw it because it doesn't really continue on and become a big thing. Yeah. And I had forgotten the, the, the other guy with it on his forehead, yeah. I think, for the same reason. Yeah, I wonder if the hand wave is once Delenn goes through her transformation that that affects it. Because it certainly never shows up again for her. And I don't remember if it before. never showed. I don't think it shows up again on right. any uh, on any member. Right. Okay. I did like her performance, though. Mary Ferland's performance uh, at freaking out at Mr. Morden. Oh, I, she's she's just excellent. I just love her so much. Mm hmm. As for the Raiders, those guys aren't seen again for a while. Um, good riddance. Thankfully. I mean, I say good riddance to that the, the guy that got vaporized. I'm yeah. sorry about that, but but in general, how do you feel about the Raiders as a uh, a, a petty sort of somewhat small time in comparison villain? Like Warren Keffer, they serve their purpose for a while and then we get rid of them. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of there's not much of a point to them anymore because the conflicts that are beginning to stir up now are so much bigger between the shadows and dealing with Earth and all of these things that are going on. So, yeah, it, it was time for them to go. Yeah, there will be a reason for pew, pew, pew with people and civilizations and things like that that we know. So we don't really need an anonymous background heavy. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fact that we see the Raiders again in third space and Legend of the Rangers way down the line, maybe that's actually an indicator that things are not going all that well in terms of uh, writing and, um, you know, developing these stories is that we we need these anonymous bad guys again. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of things developing down the road, uh, what about now that we can talk about everything? What about Ladira's prophecy? 
Yeah, well, well about that. Um, well, it, it works the same way as Londo's prophecy or personal uh, vision of his death, that he sees himself and Jakar strangling each other. And the assumption is that, you know, they are fighting each other to the death over the differences that we've seen. When it turns out, once we get through the story, oh, yeah, it's a mercy killing. And this is the same kind of thing. Uh, JMS seems to like doing this of, you know, showing you something and letting you jump to the conclusion and then lead you through, you know, it could have been this. Because, of course, what she sees is the decommissioning of Babylon 5. Does she, though? But her, no. her vision includes includes a bunch of people running and yelling and being, no. you know, yeah. af- afraid it's going to blow. So okay. for me, that didn't it didn't no. work. But I thought the shot was the same shot of the, the last shot no. of leaving. No, it wasn't because no. the uh, because the um, the last shot doesn't include a you know a shuttle leaving just before it explodes. Okay. Um, that wouldn't do it. What happened here is in, in the distance that scraping sound you hear are goalposts being moved because um, <laughs> because the original plan for Babylon Five, uh, which I really wish we could have afforded at the time, those books that go into this, but the original plan included. Sinclair and Delenn escaping the destruction of Babylon 5. That would have been the end of the last episode of season five. And they would have gone into this uh, sequel series called Babylon Prime that would have involved uh, them capturing Babylon 4 and continuing the Shadow War and such and so on. So that is the shot that was animated. Okay. And so uh, so as Michael O'Hare leaves the series... JMS pulls his trap doors and reconfigures the ending of the series, you know, accelerating it a bit to make sure that it all happens within the five-year arc, which I think is a good thing. But Ladira's vision turns into the and, – and by the way, I think that's why we have the line that it's a possible future, that it can be averted. I think that's JMS's trap door um, mm-hmm. because even now I think he is aware that his – plan may get changed he may need to do something different i don't know i don't recall when this episode was filmed but he may have known at the time that uh o'hare's future in the role may have been questionable due to o'hare's uh health issues but uh so uh we get this shot again in war without end when sinclair is thinking about ladira's prophecy and thinking about how they need to avert this future uh so that's what's going on with this scene. There's, there's, you know, stu- I, I, go ahead. I appreciate it on a, a bigger, like a bigger picture level. I like that he put that trap door in there and had her say that it's a, a possible future. But from a single episode dramatic perspective, I, I felt like it really kind of was, it's just an, an easy out, which it is. And, you know, it's, it's good that it's there, but with tunnel vision, I'm, I'm not real happy about it. Yeah, I'd agree. One episode. Mm hmm. Anything else that you guys want to touch on for uh, our spoileriness here? I can't think of anything. You know, I could, I could, to drop a Doctor Who reference, uh, I could just go on for a few more minutes like uh, Liz Miles on Verity talking about Peter Capaldi's <laughs> hair, um, about, uh, ab- about what this episode means to me in terms of the <laughs> long arc of the show. But um, I really do like what this episode means. I like what it does, and it means more to me. In retrospect, it is more important to me as a as a signpost and uh, as a rep- as as a hint of everything that's coming, more than the story on its own merits itself. Yeah. One other little thing that I did just notice being dropped in uh, is the prophecy that uh, Lord Carroll will be killed by shadows. And he is, although anybody watching this episode for the first time doesn't necessarily know that because we don't have the word shadows for, for what these, these creepy creatures good are. Good point. Good point. Uh, yeah. He's just, he's dead. Um, and, and she does say, you know, the shadows are, are coming for him. They're coming for us all, which, mm-hmm. which she's right. <laughs> they yeah. have come for us all. And this is the first, first appearance of them of, uh, of many. So not a metaphor. Type. Yeah, right. it was it was a cool thing to to see that and know what she's talking about. And it's one of those things about watching Babylon 5 the second or third or fourth time through is that you're in the know on all this stuff. And, and you know, I did find myself just kind of inwardly nodding and smiling smugly, knowing that Stephen was sitting right next to me, not having any idea what that meant. So. <laughs> It's the, that is that is definitely fun, and there's plenty of that in this uh, in this story. But that that one stood out for me just because it was it was so subtle. 
I liked it. Mm-hmm. And now after all of this energy and all of this good feeling, and I'm so excited about Babylon 5, and you know, you know we move right into Grail. <laughs> and, yeah. and Grail is the first episode that I saw most of, I think. Okay. Yeah. I get, not, I get confused. Yes, no, it is. It's definitely Grail. That is, yeah. that is where we kind of, wow, I didn't realize it was this early. I thought it was like the second season. No, no, it's 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 this season, and it is. Yeah, I thought I thought a late delivery from Avalon was the one you saw. Oh yeah, you're right. Up. See, these are the two yeah. that I get mixed up because they're time. both all about the uh, all Arthurian about Arthurian, Arthurian legend, mythos, and yeah. one of them stars David Warner, and the other one is Michael York. And it's not that I get those two guys mixed up; it's just the fact that there is a a prominent British actor that I know <laughs> in mm-hmm. each one yeah. of these. Oh wait, is Michael York British? Now I'm I don't know. guessing myself. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I am I'm excited to get get down there that far. But in, in the meantime, we will have some different Arthuriana going on. Yeah, yeah, we will. Arthur, yeah, hmm. Uh, I think we need to uh, talk with your friends at Sunspot to uh, get their music in for this episode. I was just thinking that I think they'd have no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will, that'll probably be a highlight because uh, uh, spoilers, everybody. I can't stand Grail, so I look forward to talking about it. Well, maybe maybe that'll uh, you know I don't mind it. We'll we'll get there. We'll we'll get through it, Chip. We'll get yeah, through it together. There, there, but there, but there's can there's, we just can we just watch signs importance again? There there's peaks and valleys. We'll, we'll we'll get through the valley and we'll we'll get to more peaks. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that takes us to the uh, the end of our our spoiler territory. Thank you all for for sticking with us and, and putting up with the squee. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Totally joking. How rude. The squee is why we are here. Absolutely. Um, So be sure to find us online. Let us know what you guys are thinking. Are you squeeing? Are you not? Uh, And, of course, jumping forward to Grail for the next time. And we will just see what we get then. So until next time, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.